want to stay this morning there in Ephesians chapter number four. And um, I just wanted to reiterate a few things that were said during the announcements just for emphasis sake. We're coming right up on the men's prayer uh, breakfast slash conference this Saturday. And so I don't know about you, but it has crept up on me. And uh, I know that there's a great event prepared. Um, a lot of the men have been involved in the preparation process. The food is going to be great. It's going to be good teaching there, some breakout groups to where men can share. And uh, I just want to encourage you, if you can, this Saturday. It starts at 8 o'clock. It'll end around noon, right? And so, and then the fellowship after that is totally up to you on how long you want to stick around for that. But um, if you can, men, come and, uh, and be blessed. But you know what? More importantly than that, your presence there might be a blessing and an encouragement to those who have worked hard and labored hard to put it on. And then maybe just somebody who is there might need you to say the right words or encourage them. So that's this Saturday from 8 to noon. And uh, um, I'm just encouraging you as the pastor, one of the pastors here at the church, to be uh, involved as much as you can with that. Uh, also, Easter is two Sundays away. I don't know if that has crept up on you either, but it is, it is right on us. And lots of times you can get people to come to church on Easter that wouldn't normally come, right? And so uh, it's a good opportunity if you have a lost loved one or a neighbor or someone to just invite them to come to church, to hear the uh, Word of God preach, to worship the Lord uh, as a church. And um, as you've already experienced this morning, the worship time is a great time. And, um, and so that's two weeks away. We are going to have a Good Friday service, and uh, you can come and invite people for that as well. And we're going to take the Lord's Supper that night. We're going to have some singing, um, some reading from God's Word. And, uh, but I, I really want to emphasize Sunday morning, because that's a day that a lot of people will come into the Lord's house that wouldn't normally come. And, um, and pray for me as I prepare as well um, the gospel message for that Sunday morning that go, the Lord would give me a, a special grace to be clear and uh, concise and um, convincing. I don't I know if that's a better word for it than that, just to, to really to preach forth the gospel and, and for God to take the message and to change lives with that message. That's really what the gospel is all about, isn't it? It's about changing people's lives, setting them on a new direction and a new path for the glory of God through the work of Jesus Christ and the working of the Holy Spirit of God. And so really, ultimately, we benefit from the work that he does, and it is done so that he might be highly exalted and blessed. So with those uh, just two affirmations, if you will, um, of things that are coming on. Let's get, get into our text this morning in Ephesians chapter number four. Uh, Lloyd has already read the text for us, so we, we won't reread it. Um, but you're familiar with the fact that we're going through a study on the church and um, what its purposes are, uh, who is the focus of the church. We're going to talk about a lot of different things over the next several weeks in relation to the church from a biblical perspective, okay? The church is not a place of entertainment. Uh, it is the place where we come together to worship God on Sunday mornings. 
And, uh, and we worship him in singing, we worship him in preaching, in teaching his word. We worship him, they worship him in Sunday school over there by teaching his word. We worship the Lord by giving. Uh, we don't pass an offering plate here at Grace Bible Church, but there are boxes on both sides of the auditorium as you leave, and there's also a box in the foyer as well, a place that you can give. And, uh, and giving is a form of worship. It is a way in which we show the Lord that he is superior and supreme to all other things when we give him the first fruits um, of what he, really, what he has given us. Um, he has blessed us with 90%, right? And, uh, and it's not we're giving him back 10, it's really he's giving us 90%, and we thank him for that um, by putting that 10% or whatever amount God um, lays on your heart to place in those boxes as a form of giving of tithes and offerings, um, we worship the Lord in prayer and by praying and talking to him and submitting our needs to him, submitting our desires to him. That is all a form of worship. We do it together corporately once a week. We do it together throughout the week in our community groups, right? And, um, but ultimately, we want to remember this. The church is all of you individuals out here. It's not these buildings. If we didn't have these buildings, we could still be the church and because the church is about people. It's about all of us in here as a part of Grace Bible Church doing God's work um, to glorify and to bless Him. Now, last week we talked about the, the progression of the church. And there are, there are four pieces to the progression. If you took notes, you'll have these. If not, you can write them down um, this morning. We start off with evangelism. This is our responsibility um, every individual in here has the responsibility to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And we're all called to evangelize. The church's purpose um, from a universal perspective or from an individual perspective is to preach the gospel. And we're to be out there not just preaching with our mouths, but living with our lives the power of Christ. If people can see the power of Christ in your life, it's possible that they might believe that the power of Christ is big enough to impact their lives. Okay, so, so we're out there living, evangelizing with our lives. The second step in this progression is equipping, which means we're resetting people. This is the local church's job. When people come into the church after they have come to faith in Christ, our job is to reset them or to refocus them as they are now going in a whole new direction. And you'll remember when Jesus um, healed the blind man and immediately when he was healed, uh, he, he saw everything and it was all what? It was all blurry, right? He, he didn't see anything clearly. He said men look like trees and, and, uh, and so he, he wasn't able to see things clearly and then he, his, his eyes slowly cleared up. That's the church's job. Our job is to, is to focus people in on what God has for their life. Remember this, folks. When you get saved, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, your whole purpose changes. Your whole life changes. You matter now, not because you are significant, but because he is significant. It's like being employed by the greatest person in the universe. You become significant because who you work for. The church's job is to help you understand that. It's to clear that part up for you that is sometimes very confusing. And somebody gets saved and you start talking about, okay, well, what are you going to do now with, with your new purpose or your new vision or your new gift? Your new gifting, our response is often, what do you mean? 
Our job is to set that and help them in that, in that realm. The third thing we do is we employ them, we put them into a role, a responsibility in the church in which they can heal, they can discover what God has called them to do, and then we encourage them, the Bible says, for the edification of the body of Christ. We encourage each other. The church is a place of encouragement. So we notice that this is a progression, but it's not only a progression, it also could be considered a cycle. The reason why I would consider it a cycle is because it's constantly starting over again. This progression never ends. In other words, we're constantly evangelizing, right? So people are being saved, they're being brought into the church, so we start equipping them or resetting them, then we uh, uh, employ them, then we encourage them, then they evangelize, and then they see people saved, and then we equip them, and we employ them, and we encourage them, and then they evangelize, and then we equip and employ and, and encourage and evangelize, and you see how that cycle just keeps on going and going and going, and it never ends. It's, it's a constant cycle that's taking place all the time. And in addition to that, you guys know as well as I do, the whole idea of being reset is not a one-time event. In other words, you get reset often. How many of you have, were reset in one area of your life, and later the Lord was like, okay, well, what about this area? And you're like, okay, I got to be reset there as well. So then you're reset you're reemployed and you're encouraged again. And you come back and you find out there's more in the Christian life. I didn't realize that I needed to be reset there as well. You're reset, you're employed, you're encouraged. How many of you, your spiritual gifts have changed over the years? Maybe you found yourself, this spiritual gift was where you were at, and then the Lord resets you, employed you, and encouraged you in another direction. It's the, way the, it's the way the body of Christ works. It's never ending. It's a cycle. And that's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a constant pursuit. Now, what I want to talk to you about this morning is, is the goal of the church. This cycle that we are in and that we go, go through has a goal. It has an aim. It has an end. Uh, it has a target. It's there for a reason. You know, sometimes we lose sight of the reason behind why we keep going through this. And then if we lose sight of the purpose, it gets kind of wearisome, doesn't it? It gets maybe even become burdensome. So if we can refocus ourselves on what is God's purpose in this constant cycle that the church has to go through. And I will submit to you guys this morning, and this is, we're a family here, right? We're a family. This is Grace Bible Church. We're a family. I would submit to you that the church in general is tired. It's, we're tired. The church is tired. I'm not talking about just Grace Bible Church. I'm talking about the church in the world is tired. So, so what we do when we're tired is instead of staying within that cycle, we start trying to create exciting things over here and over here. We start trying to do things that are not within our cycle of what we're supposed to be doing because we want the church to be exciting again. And then what we have is we, we create an organization that's not really an organism that is the church. Because we're no longer accomplishing God's purpose for the church. We're now accomplishing our purpose for the church. So, so I, I, wanna, I want us to recognize that we do get tired in this cycle. We do get tired in this process. And, and that happens when we lose sight of what we're supposed to be accomplishing. What we're supposed to be doing. So here's what, here's what um, the Apostle Paul says. In, in these verses, 
that were just read already. He says in verse 13, until we all attain. Now, I just want to stop there for a moment. This word here means to arrive. It means to kind of reach a goal, to to kind of pass the finish line. You, you, can, you can picture it in your mind of, of running through, the, running through the, uh, the banner that goes across there, and that means that you've finished the race, right? So when we think about this word, this, this cycle is going to continue until we attain something, until we reach some goal um, that we'll talk about here in a minute. But until we reach some goal, this cycle is going to constantly be taking place in in our lives, okay? And this goal is mentioned in the following verses, but I want to read to you out of Philippians 3 um, to help you see the, the idea of this, of this pursuit, of this goal, of reaching this end. Um, Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 12 through 14, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on so that I might... Make it my own, because Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind me and straining forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul himself, the Apostle Paul himself, even recognized this necessity to be pursuing this goal, to be moving towards this goal. Now let me remind you of something. This goal that God has set for us as the body of Christ cannot be accomplished by an individual. It has to be accomplished, accomplished by the corporate body. And each one of God's corporate bodies, which we call the local church, is set on a mission to accomplish the goal that Paul is striving for when he writes this in Philippians chapter number three. That he even understood that he had not arrived. If the apostle Paul had not arrived, we can all say in harmony that we have not arrived. We have not gotten there yet. I think of Abraham when... The Lord came to Abraham in Genesis 12 and told him that he's going to take him to a place that he's going to make his, his uh, give to him. And he tells Abraham, pack your bags, get your clothes on, leave everything behind and go to this place that I'm, I'm not going to tell you where it's at. I want you to live by faith every day, moving to a goal that you don't even know where it's at. I believe that that's what the church is. I believe the church is moving towards a goal that when we get there, we won't even know that we've arrived because we don't know what it looks like. Abraham had to get to the goal, the Bible says. When he got there, it says that finally he was separated from Lot, which God told him to do in the beginning anyway, right? And God told Abraham, Abraham, get up and look to the north, the south, the east, and the west and know that all of this land is the land that I have promised you. In other words, what God ultimately said to Abraham was this. You're right in the middle of it. But Abraham didn't know it. Abraham didn't know where he was going. He, he had to walk by faith every day of his life, knowing that one day God was going to cause him to arrive at the destination. We as a church are moving towards some goals. We have an end result in line that we're looking for. We're pursuing but we don't know what it looks like when we get there because we've never seen it before. 
As a matter of fact, um, as we'll see in the text here, uh, our arrival is still in the future and um, likely not to ever happen in this life. It is a, it is a um, perpetual, eternal pursuit, something that we're always pursuing. So let's look at what is this goal? What is the purpose or the goal of the church? And how can we accomplish that? And what is it going to look like in the end? He says, in, uh, as we go on, he says, this cycle is going to take place until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the first thing that the Apostle Paul tells us, the first goal that we have, he says, this cycle is going to take place until we all attain to what? Till we all attain to unity. Till we all attain to unity. Now this word literally means, it's, a, it's the word describing oneness. Okay, it's like when we talk about the Trinity, we talk about three distinct persons, but how many God? One God, three very, very distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all make up one God. All right, so we are a church with, with I'm not going to say how many are here, but we are a church of, let's say, 100 people this morning. But how many churches are we? We are one church. So we are able to be a reflection. God says our first purpose is that we be united together, we be, we be one, we be in harmony, we be in unity, we be in um, agreement together in such a way as to be a reflection of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but one God. We as a church are called to be pursuing, to be moving in the direction of greater and greater unity so that we might reflect on the Godhead. That's what our purpose is. That's what we're called to do. We are pursuing unity in the church body. Go with me back to verse number 3 of chapter 4. Let's go back to chapter number one. He says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. God has called us, he says, our pursuit, the reason why this cycle is taking place is so that we can all come to a place of unity. It doesn't say that we can all come to a place of rightness, does it? If our pursuit is that each one of us individually be right, will we be moving in the realm of unity? Matter of fact, if we go back to the verses before, he says if we're going to move in the direction of unity, we must move that way with all what? With all humility, with all gentleness, with all, with all patience, and with all forbearing or, or uh, long-suffering. The way that we move towards unity is not the way that we're taught to move towards unity today. We move towards unity by being selfless. We move towards unity by being humble. We move towards unity by being broken. We, we move towards unity by understanding our own frailties and by putting other people above ourselves. 
We move towards unity by, by not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought, but thinking soberly about, or thinking realistically about ourselves. This is how we move towards unity. This is what God is calling us to. He's calling us to be a, a, a body of people that are moving towards constantly the, the unity that is presented to us in the Trinity. How unified is the Trinity? It is so unified that we can speak about them as if they are. That's exactly right. Jesus prays in John 17 about the church. And do you know what he says about the church? He says, I pray that like the Father is united with me, and I am united with the Father, that you would be united in the same way with us. He prays that we would be one, that we would be unified, that we would be, we would be unanimous in the same way that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are unanimous. The unity that comes that is a spiritual unity. If you want to turn with me to Philippians chapter number four, or chapter number two. Verse one. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any participation in the Spirit, any affections and sympathy, complete my joy, Paul says to the church, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambitions or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also on the interests of others. And other versions say this, let, in verse number four, other versions say, let each of you look not on his own things, but on the things of others. Meaning that our focus is on the well-being of others. We, we were in our prayer meeting this morning, and we, we were talking about how what we see a lot in the Bible, and we see it in the Lord's Prayer in John 17, and we see it in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew and Luke, is, is Jesus Christ praying for others. Thinking of other people's, thinking of other people's needs, thinking of other people's desires, thinking of other people's wants, thinking of other people, and thinking less about ourselves. This is what brings unity in the body of Christ. The Bible says in Philippians 1.27, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or an absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in the spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And Paul's heart was that he would see the church that he had started. He would see this church that he had birthed by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that, that Paul would see the churches that he had started be unified together, moving forward for the sake of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 1.10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree. <laughs> we could just stop there, right, and spend hours on this, that all of you agree that's, listen, that is the pursuit. 
That is the goal. Are we there? Are we there? No, we're not there. The reality of it is we're not there. The danger is we're not moving there. We're not concerned about being of one mind, speaking the same thing. It's not our concern anymore, but yet it is God's calling to his church. Yes, it's important to be right, but it is equally important to be unified, to be united together, to be one. God is a God of truth. God is a God of unity as well. John 17, we spoke, I spoke about it a moment ago. John 17, Jesus Christ talks a lot about truth. Sanctify them through the truth. Thy word is truth. And Lord, unite them with us. Unify us together. The danger is not that we're not unified. The danger is that we're not moving in that direction. 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brethren, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The first pursuit that we have is unity. It is oneness. This church should be pursuing oneness. Oneness. That we have the same mind, that we have the same pursuits, that we have the same goals, that we have the same purpose, that we have the same hope, that we have the same Jesus. Amen? That's our pursuit. Paul said, I don't even want to talk about anything amongst you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's one way to be unified, isn't it? Just talk about Jesus all the time. Let me give you two things about this unity. Number one, he says, to be unified in, 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 in verse number 13 until we come to the unity of the faith. He defines the unity that he's calling for. It's a unity of the faith. The word faith here in the Greek is, it, it describes the system of belief that we live in. We should be unified in what we believe as a church. That means this church should be founded and established and positioned in such a way that you should be able to look at what we believe and say, I agree with this or I don't agree with this. We need to be defined in such a way that when we're, our unity is not just this casual surface unity of I like baseball and I like football and I like basketball, but no, the unity that we have is that we believe in one baptism, we believe in one God, we believe in the Trinity, we believe in the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We believe in the power of God to help us overcome temptation. The unity that we have is in what we believe as a package. He talks about in the beginning of this chapter, verse 4 of chapter 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as we are all called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through and in all. Just one, that we are united in what we believe as a church. One of the reasons why we make an emphasis of when people want to join the church, we ask them, have you read our doctrinal statement? Do you know where we stand on these things? Do you, do you know why we ask that question? It's for this reason. Paul says we should be moving towards unity in the faith. 
Not division in the faith, but unity in the faith. And yes, we have a special privilege because we're a local church. The same calling is not applied. The same calling is not, is not as emphasized in Scripture that every local body be perfectly unified in the faith. But this local body is to be unified in the faith. We, as a church right here, Grace Bible Church, we are a reflection of the glory of God. We're a reflection of the unity of the Trinity. We should be unified in what we believe. We should be unified in what we believe. And, 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 I, and I have a list here of things, but, but um, we don't have time to go through them. We should be united on the, on the majors, and we should, be, we should be united on the majors, and we should have liberty in regard to the minors. But there should be unity in the church. We should be moving towards unity. And you know what this means? This means you're going to have some debates with each other, and you're going to work through some doctrinal things, and you're going to do it humbly. And you're going to do it submissively. You're going to do it considering the other person above yourself. You're going to listen to what they have to say. You're going to watch them open the scriptures, and you're going to open the scriptures with them. And you're going to come to a unity of the faith. Does that make sense? That's where we're going. That's what we're pursuing. So we're going to have some of those things. We're to be united in in. in what we believe in the faith. Number two, we're to be united in who we believe. He doesn't only say united in, in, the, in the faith, but he says, and in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to be united in the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. We're to be, be united in the knowledge of the Son of God. We're to be united in what we understand about Jesus Christ. There's no one who is more significant in the word of God than the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to be united in our pursuit of understanding of knowing Christ. And this word literally has it, carries with it the idea of not just having an intellectual knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, but this carries with it a deep understanding of who he is. We're to be united in our pursuit of knowing Christ and knowing about him in every way. In knowing the intricacies of his life, of his miracles, of his parables, to knowing all of these things, to be, to be studying together, whether it be in small groups or community groups or church on Sunday morning or Sunday school, that we're growing in the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is and we're doing it with all humility and grace towards other people. And we're not doing it so that we can be right. We're doing it so that we can be united and so that we can know Christ, and they can know Christ as well. Do you know what you accomplish if you always want to be right? You get to be right, and they get to walk away. Isn't that true? If you can be humble, you might get to be right, and they might get to be right with you at some point along the discipleship way. The Lord wants us to be unified 
in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, in our knowing him, in our understanding him, in our studying him, to be precisely in, in, under, in, in our study, precise in our study and, and correct in our knowledge or pursuit of understanding who he is. 1 Corinthians 2, 2, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Ephesians 1, 17, that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, might give you the spirit of wisdom and of the revelation and the knowledge of him. We know what Philippians says, that he, I count all things as, as nothing that I might know Christ. And then he goes on to describe that knowledge of Christ that I might experience his resurrection, that I might experience his suffering. Paul says, I'm not going to be satisfied just to know Christ intellectually. I want to know Christ experientially. I want to go through some things that help me know Christ. And that's what a church does. So the first goal of the church is to be Unified. The second goal of the church is, is found also in our text. He says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Let me deal with this one very quickly. The second thing is, is we're, the, the church's purpose is to stabilize us, to give us some stability to give us some stability. And two places that, that the church is to give stability to the body of Christ, to believers. We're to give the church stability, number one, in regards to circumstances. Waves in the Bible is a term used to describe difficult circumstances. And waves are described, describing difficulties. We all face difficulties, right? Everybody in here has faced some difficulty this week. Some have faced big difficulties and some have faced smaller difficulties. But remember this, we're all here to help the other brother or sister in Christ get through their difficulty. To help stabilize them in the midst of a very, very stormy situation. That's why we're here. You're here this morning because somebody else has a storm, and you've had that storm before, 2 Corinthians 1. You've had that storm before, and now you can help them go through that storm. But you know something, folks? If we stay individualistic and selfish-minded, we don't help anybody. Matter of fact, we often don't even know that there is possibly somebody sitting in this auditorium this morning that is going through the exact same thing that you went through a year ago or five years ago, and you were victorious through the Spirit of Christ. They're going through it right now, but we haven't sought out to know the people of the church enough to be able to help them. Isn't it true? We have to get to the place where we care enough to start to start sacrificially giving of ourselves to the people that are in this body so that we can know what their needs are. You can't help somebody in a storm if you're not in it with them. You have to be able to be merciful to put their shoes on for five minutes so that you can then help them in their situation. You have to know them to be able to help them in their storm. I find it sad sometimes that we, that we as the body of Christ have people in our church right here, right now, that have extraordinary pain that they're going through right now, and they know one thing, and this one thing that they know is worse than any of the pain that they're going through, and you know what it is? It's that nobody knows what they're going through. Do you know the greatest pain in Jesus Christ's suffering 
for all of the cross was that moment when God turned his back on him. The greatest suffering is when you realize that you're alone. And by God's grace, folks, let people in this church never feel alone. Know them. Know what they're going through. Know their pain. Know their heartache. Know their suffering. Pick somebody out. Find out them, their life. Find out what the waves are that are overflowing them right now. And they've just come up for one last breath, but then they're going to be done. Be sacrificial. Give your time and your energy to help other people out. It is for the glory of God. It is the purpose of being here. It's why we are a church. It's to stabilize us in regards to our difficult circumstances. And then he says this, it's to stabilize us in regards to, in regards to persuasive deception. He uses three terms in the text, and I'm just going to break them down for you very quickly. He says cunning, first of all, a cunning deception. This is somebody who is, a pers- is persuasive with, it's the, it comes from the idea of dice. If you, if it's a gambling term. And where they, where they falsify the dice, they make them weighted on one side or the other, and they cheat. The church is here. Grace Bible Church is to protect you from ministries and doctrines out there that have falsified the information. They've made it off balance. You need your brothers and sisters in Christ at Grace Bible Church to know the error that is in the world. To know the deception, you need us. We need you to know what's going on so that we don't fall prey into some seduction, doctrinal seduction that's out there. That's what he says here. We don't fall prey to this cunning that is a fraudulent cunning, a sleight of hands, a a, a magic trick that they show you to persuade you to follow their path. Listen to me, folks. The religious world is full of the sleight of hand. And it's not with a bunch of cards in their hand, but it's with a lot of other things that are far more convincing and demonic. The Bible gives us warning both in, in 2 Thessalonians as well as in Revelation of miracles that will take place in the last days that will be deceptive miracles. It's a sleight of hand. If I can get you to believe this, one of the great accomplishments of the Antichrist is that he will seemingly rise from the dead. Who's not going to believe that? Do you know what that is? It's the sleight of hand. It's what he's talking about here. You have to be in a church that's fundamentally and foundationally solid that you can say, I trust my brothers in Christ to not let me go to those sleight of hands. And then he says the craftiness. Craftiness is the, is the in the Greek it means sophistication. Trickery by, trickery by sophistication. False wisdom. In the Bible days, it was called Gnosticism. We have it today in our church realm. People who are so over our heads that nothing makes sense to us, and we say, hey, if it's that far over my head, it must be right. Right? It's sophistication. It's 
It's trickery by going beyond what you can understand. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, 20 and 21, O Timothy, guard the deposit that is entrusted to you and void the irreverable babble and contradictions of which are falsely called knowledge. Falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. And the last thing that we're to be protected from is deceitful schemes. This, this word schemes here in the Greek is we get our English word methods from. He says, we are to be a place that you can be protected from deceitful methods. There are methods in our world today. There are systems. There are programs that are meant to draw you away from the truth and introduce you into some false doctrine. And do you know something? I'm going to say this, and I just want to encourage you with this. Never go to a church based on its methods. You go to a church based upon its beliefs. You go to a church based upon its doctrine. And whatever methods they have within that church, you get into a foundationally solid church, the methods will be foundationally, will be solid as well. I've heard... Lots of people in my 20 years of ministry say to me, well, we're going to go to this church because they have better methods. There will always be a church out there that has better methods. The issue is not the methods. The issue is the truth. This is what this word means, deceitful schemes. It means deceitful methods. The word actually means cunning art, craftiness. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4, for the time is coming where people will not endure sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And this never leads to unity. It always leads to division. Number three, in regards to our purpose. Listen to this. This is a really, really important one. He says that we, um, get back to our text here, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wave and carried about by the wind of doctrine, cunning craftiness, uh, cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes, but rather speaking in the truth of the love, we may grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and, and held together by every joint with which it is equipped um, when each part is working properly makes the whole body to build itself up. There's that word encourage again. Build itself up in love. Okay? Now here's what happens. How many of you, here's the picture. The goal of the church is to, is to build people up into the head, which is Christ. Okay? How many of you ever had, how many of you ever seen a baby that was born and their head was really, really big compared to their body? Have you ever seen that before? We, I remember when our home, we had a, a young kid there. His head was really, I mean, he literally had a hard time keeping his balance because his head was big and his body was really, really small. It's funny, isn't it? Do you know what? That's the picture that, that's the picture that Paul is presenting here. Christ is so huge. Christ is so significant. Christ is so supreme that God has established the church to grow us up so that one day we might be... Okay, listen. One day we might be fit for his body. That's why he says in verse 1, walk worthy. 
Walk worthy. Walk worthy of what? Walk worthy of your head. Be fit into your head, which is Christ. Christ is our head, and the church is established so that we could slowly and and methodically grow into worthiness to be a part of that amazing head. That's what we're moving towards. That's what we're working towards. That's the goal of this body. Every individual would be fit, that I would be a fit finger for this amazing head. That is Christ. We are being molded and matured and and worked with by other believers so that we might become more and more worthy of our head. Who is Christ? That's what we're growing into. That's what God's making us into. And one day the fingers will all work right and the arm will work right, and the legs will work right, and the toes will work right, and the organs will work right, and Christ the head will be there, and the body will function as it ought. That's what he goes on to describe. He talks about being joints, all these joints. What are the joints? Those are the spiritual gifts. God gives us spiritual gifts to hold us together. If you don't have joints, you just start to fall apart, don't you? 1 Corinthians 12 1 Corinthians 14, Romans 12. God gives us spiritual gifts not to divide us, but to hold us together. How many professional baseball teams walk out onto the field with seven players? Right? Or basketball teams walk onto the floor with three players. It doesn't happen. The team is meant to hold things together. The joints are meant to hold things uh, together. God has given each one of you a, a gift, not so that you can go off on your own and do it, but so that you can be held together with the body. You know, the greatest athletic teams in the world are those who each person performs their role well for the sake of the whole body. True? I remember watching in years past, watching basketball teams. And you know the basketball teams that excite me? It's not the ones that have the superstar. I like the superstar. But it's not the ones that have the superstar. It's the ones that have five very average players, but they know how to play together. Amen. I remember watching some teams in the past that weren't, they were not the number one best team in the nation when it came to how great their players were individually, but they won the championship. Amen. Listen, folks, that's what the church is meant to be. It's meant to be a group of people, each one of them performing their roles to the best of their ability for the sake of the edification of the body that we might grow into the head who is Christ. This is the maturity that we're working towards. The the gifts hold us together. The Spirit teaches us. The Word of God trains us. Our brothers and sisters in Christ correct us. They hold us accountable. They do things for us that no one else could do for us. Maturity. These are the goals. Let me give you a few last thoughts. When will the church end? Or when will the church's purpose end? Remember this. The Bible says this in the text here. When we all attain 
to the goal. When does Christ's church end? When everybody is there. When this cycle stops is when we've all arrived. That's why the Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 9, that God is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but he's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He tells us in Romans chapter number 11 that when the fullness of the number of Gentiles are brought in, God is not going to leave anyone out that is a part of his elect. Zero. So when we have gathered in all of the elect of God, we have gathered them together, and we have worked to make them unified in the body of Christ, to mature them into their role, then the church stops being needed. So when is the church going to end? It will end when the Lord returns. When the rapture takes place, the church, the Bible says that the church, the Bible says in, in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, that the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout. He will gather his people together, and they will be gathered together in the air. This is the moment the church is in perfect harmony. This is the moment that the church is no longer needed because it has totally fulfilled its purpose. And this is the moment, amen, that we're all looking forward to. This is the moment that we're all looking forward to. What is the destination, real quick? The end is that we'll all be in the image of Christ. That is the end. It, it even implies that here in this text, that the head and the body all fit together, working together for the glory of God. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed but we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And then one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Psalm 17, 15. Ask for me, I will behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I will be satisfied with your likeness. This is the end. This is what the church is going to look like. And it's not going to be one individual. It's going to be a whole mass, millions of people being the body of Christ. Amen. You know what we're doing here today and what we'll do throughout the rest of this week is we're preparing each other, we're equipping each other, we're resetting each other, we're mobilizing each other. We're encouraging each other to come into that and be used by God. We're going to step one step further in this process. Like Abraham woke up in the morning and said, I don't know where I'm going, but by faith, I'm going to take a step in that direction. We wake up in the morning and by faith, we take a step in the right direction. And God guides that step. And one day we'll wake up. And the Lord will say, look to the north, the south, the east, and the west, because you have arrived. And it will be when we're in his presence. Our destination is Christ-likeness. And then lastly, what is our responsibility? Here's what he says. Here's what we're to be doing. He says, but rather speak the truth in love. This is our job. This is our responsibility, that while we're here on this earth as a church, Grace Bible Church, we're to be focused on two things. 
we're to be focused on. Number one, speaking the truth. We must be truth-oriented. Remember, the enemy has come in with lies and deception and deceit. The only way that we can overcome lies and deception and deceit is by truth. So we have to be speakers of truth. People come into the church because they have been born again, and they no longer want to listen to lies, deception, and deceit. So we present to them truth. So our job, our responsibility from now to eternity is to speak the truth to each other, to be honest with each other, to do it with humility, to do it with with selflessness, to do it to help people and not to condemn them, to do it in such a way as to cause unity and not division. That is our responsibility. It is to speak the truth. But our responsibility is not only to speak the truth, but it is to speak the truth In in love. Our attitude in how we speak the truth matters. You can speak the truth and be totally divisive. And you can speak the truth and be totally unifying. Speak the truth. We don't want to move back to deception. Well, I don't really want to tell them the truth, so I'll just lie to them and deceive them. You're putting them right back into the boat that they came out of. That's not our job. But man, when you do speak the truth, you've got to be very, very careful with how you speak that truth. This is why it's so important that you walk in the Spirit, so that when you speak the truth, you're not speaking the truth. The Spirit of God is speaking the truth through you, because he never has a bad attitude, right? He never says it wrong. Remember, it's not always about being right. It is always about discipleship. And sometimes being right means waiting. Sometimes being right means bearing the burden, being long-suffering. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to read three verses to you, 1, 13, and 3. If we speak with the tongues of men and of angels, in other words, if you have wisdom that surpasses the angels, who have seen God, by the way, but you do not have love, you are like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I've heard that noisy gong before. I've had people come up to me and correct me that had never developed a relationship with me, had never walked with me, did not understand me, and you know what it sounded like to me? Clang, right in my ears. I didn't want to hear it. You say, well, that's their fault, not according to this passage of Scripture. We are to have love, to tear down those walls that they will be able to hear without it being clanging. If I give all that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned and have not love, I gain nothing. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is... Man, you you stop for a moment and meditate on what faith is. All that we believe. Faith is all that we believe. 
It is all that we believe. And Paul says, you take faith and compare it to love, and love is more significant. Why? Because you can have all that you believe here and not have all that you believe here. Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is what we're to be doing each day, to move towards that unity, to move towards the, the purity, the, um, the discipleship that God has called us to. We are to love Speak the truth in love. In closing, in the end, God is conforming his people into the image of his son. We see that in Romans chapter number eight. He is working this out through a community. He is working this out through a community. You must be a part of a community, the church, in order to accomplish God's purpose of being conformed into the image of his son. To reflect him in his fullness. Many people reflecting God's or Christ's glories together. He established the church to accomplish this by uniting, stabilizing, and maturing us. This journey will last until the end of time. You'll never stop needing the church. You'll never stop needing the church. And on the journey... We walk by faith, we speak the truth, and we love people and love people and love people and love people. And God will perform miracles that you and I cannot understand or comprehend, and he will do it by his grace and for his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for caring enough about us to establish a community, a Grace Bible Church, that we can grow. We can grow to know you. We can grow to know each other. We can grow to represent and reflect you in the community that you've placed us in. I pray, Lord, that you will be with us in this journey together, that you will even begin, as we leave today, to begin to prick our hearts on something that we can do, Lord, some change that we can make, that we can start moving in the direction that you have called us to, the purpose that you have placed us here for, and that you might, um, maybe I say, continue to do that work in our lives, and that you might do it for your glory and by your grace. We thank you so much. You are an extraordinary God. We, have, um, we honor you and praise you because you are worthy of it. We pray your blessing upon this day and this week. In Christ's name, amen.